We're coming from Isaiah chapter 9, reading from verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, so tomorrow we'll be um, waking up, run to the tree to open up gifts and, and, and presents we've received as friends. You know, they look on and they want to see the sparkle in your eye. They want to see um, the joy on your face. And I remember as a kid, you know, running into the living room and tearing those gifts open and, and, and ripping up those boxes. And then I had kids. And so then I watch my kids run down and they tear open the gift. They, they tear open the, the wrapping paper. They rip open the box and then they leave the gift over there and play with the box. And I'm like, I spent my hard earned money on this, but, but, but the box, dad, you can get in it. You can ride in it. You know, they're rolling around in the wrapping paper. They have forgotten about the real gift and paid attention to all the stuff surrounding the gift. But this is really a picture of us today. We have a gift from God that was wrapped in humanity, and we have, we have thrown the real gift aside and have focused more on the stuff surrounding the celebration of his birth. You know, as we celebrate uh, this Advent season, this, this celebration of the coming of Christ, we have to see that God, who calls us to live generous lives, gives us an example of ultimate gener- generosity by giving us his son. Yet the fanfare around this gift shows we really don't see and appreciate what God has done for us. In this gift of Jesus, in the midst of our celebrations, we can't lose sight of the best gift that was ever given. The passage we're we're looking at is in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah's uh, chapters 1 through 6 deal with God's retribution on the members of Israel. Isaiah basically gives an indictment on Judah um, for their foul living and, and, the, and their straying from the Mosaic law for which their connection with God was, was, was wrapped in and the symbol of their holiness, their, their set-apartness. But because of God's covenant with Abraham, he promised he would restore them. Yet their restoration would only come after they suffered turmoil of other nations coming in and pressing them back into the presence of God. After bringing to Judah's attention their, their sinfulness and their, their wayward way for, way for living, um, God speaks through Isaiah his plan for deliverance. And Isaiah prophesies in chapters 7 through 12 of their deliverance. And in chapter 9, where we are today, he more specifically describes the the deliverer for which he would accomplish his plan. You know, as you read through the book of Isaiah, you get this sense that Isaiah um, has a very high reverence for God. He sees God as one, though set apart and greater than his creation. He is still involved in and and cares about what he has created. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then later on in the same chapter, he describes how a seraphim grabs a piece of burning coal and, and purges his lips. 
and declared that his sins had been forgiving, showing that God not only is the creator, but he cares about his creation. He's a personal God. When we get uh, to, to chapter 9, Isaiah begins to describe God's deliverer by saying this, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The implication is that this child that would come to be the Messiah would be of the nation of Israel. Now, Israel was looking for him to come back and reinstate their prosperity, reinstate their blessedness. And in addition to the promises of Israel and the future implication of his arrival, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. As John the Baptist states it in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every human is born in sin. We, we, we have an, an inherited sin nature that no matter how good you are, you cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough good to pay the debt of sin that comes when you are born. And many people live their lives uh, searching for answers and, and fulfillment, trying to satisfy the emptiness that is in their life until they come to know Jesus. Jesus is the gift that answers those questions. And Isaiah unwraps and unpacks this gift in chapter 9, verse 6. The text tells us up front that the government will rest on his shoulders. You have to understand the situation. Israel has been under terrible rule by horrible leaders, and their confidence and trust in their kings have been diminished. As a matter of fact, Israel aligns with pagan nations and attacks Judah, their own relatives. And, and at this time, Judah was under an ungodly king, Ahaz. And they're faced with war, and they're faced with exile, and, and kind of give you a picture of Ahaz's character. Um, he gets mad at God for losing a battle and offers sacrifices to the gods of the army who beat him. To which the prophet Isaiah lets them know and lets us know through this passage that the Messiah will be different. The Messiah will be a competent ruler. The description here of the government resting on his soldiers is the figurative picture of a kingly robe worn to show kingship and uh, a representation of authority. And as Judah had experienced lackluster leadership, we have to admit we've experienced lackluster leadership. But it's important to, um, to be reminded that the Messiah that we serve is in charge now and will be in charge when he returns. Can I get an amen for that one? We need to live as if he is in charge, as if he is in control in the face of falling stock markets, in the, uh, the face of lost jobs. We need to see the Savior that is in charge of everything. 
As we've gone through this this Advent series, we have learned that he is a wonderful counselor. And in Jesus, we have a counselor or an advisor, um, one who can devise a plan in a way that is beyond human capabilities. Isaiah goes on to name him as mighty God. This was a strong statement because the crime that would eventually uh, get him crucified is his claim to be God. But here Isaiah makes it plain that the prophesied Messiah is God and a mighty God at that. One who understands my pain, but not only does he understand it, he has the power to mightily overcome it. We learn that he is the everlasting father. The benefit of having a savior who is the everlasting father is that not only can he rule you as king, not only can he advise you as counselor, not only can he handle your problem as a mighty God, but he can see you through to the end. He can direct you now because he's already had the end in mind. He knows the beginning from the ending. That means he directs you, guides you, instructs you, knowing what his plan is for you. In this time of chaos, Israel needed to know that God still saw them and that he would provide peace in the midst of their panic, in the midst of their confusion. Isaiah prophesies that a ruler is coming that not only can cause peace, but is the prince of peace. A ruler that can cause peace on all levels. There are three points I'd like to bring to your attention about uh, this peace, this Prince of Peace. Are you interested? You might as well. It's Christmas Eve and you came out, right? The first thing we learn is with Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, we can have peace with man. Peace with man. I found these statistics that were published uh, by the Moody Bible Institute's Today in the Word, Ju- in June of 1988, these were published, that since the beginning of history being recorded, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. It goes on to state that about, of about 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years saw peace. And with over 8,000 peace treaties made, all were broken. In a world plagued by war and, and, and fighting, where do we find peace? You know, peace for some people is just that brief moment that you pause to reload. Somebody will get that on the way home. <laughs> now I want you to understand, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the promise of God's presence in trouble. One writer says it like this, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of righteousness and godliness. James chapter 3 verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. First pure, then peaceable. You can't have peace if you don't do what is right. Peace is not the absence of dealing with issues. It's allowing the righteousness of God and the obedience to God's word to invade the situation so the issues are brought out and dealt with. 
peace is not made until the sin is admitted, brought before God to make it right. When there is disobedience to God's word, there cannot be peace. One writer says this, true biblical peacemakers will not let sleeping dogs lie. He will not save the status quo. He will not say, I know the person is doing wrong, but I just want to have a peaceful situation. I just want to keep the peace. He says, that's a cop out. You know, Hebrews 12 and 14 says, pursue peace with all men. We forget to read the rest of the verse. It says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. If sinful action and disrespect are not called out and dealt with, then you really don't have peace. You just have a ceasefire, a chance to pause and reload. You know, a huge part of preaching the truth of the gospel is that when you press the truth, you will arouse the crowd. John uh, MacArthur says this, you have to get them mad at you before you can get them happy with you. You have to upset them before you can make them better. You have to make them feel bad before you can ever make them feel good. The sword falls, and out of the sword can come peace because it is the sword that is purity and righteousness. You see, when you deal with truth, you will divide, you will offend, you will ruffle feathers, but peace cannot come without it. True peace cannot happen with business as usual, pretending there are no issues, letting things go undressed. True peace is found when you shuffle the dust, find the root, and apply the axe to uproot the issue. Then there'll be peace. But people don't want to hear about the peace that God offers because there's too much truth to it. You know, my sons, they hate taking medicine because they say it, it tastes bad. So I'm sorry, son, they don't make a birthday cake flavored medicine. They don't, they don't make soda flavored NyQuil. If they do, I don't know, I don't, I don't want it. <laughs> but I had to teach them that, that I know it tastes bad, but in order for you to get your healing, you have to take this medicine. In order for your body to find peace, you have to take this bad tasting liquid that in the long term will give you the healing that you're looking for. You see, peace involves bringing the strong tasting truth to the situation, the righteousness, the honesty, then by allowing the strong taste of the truth to be brought out and then dealt with, not ignoring it, then the healing that is necessary can take place. Peace with your fellow man does not mean pretending that everything is okay. It means admitting there is an issue and having the courage to address the issue. To speak the truth in love, praying for the other person and yourself, to see God in the situation, that's, that's when you see peace. Understand this, Jesus, the one who said, peace be still, and the storms calm down. Jesus, the one who said, my peace I give to you, also said things like, you brood of vipers. You hypocrites. Woe to you religious people. Because he knew that in order to find peace, you have to address the truth. 
And the response to Jesus' peace was them putting him on the cross. The truth was it, was, it was too much for them to bear. But he could endure the consequences of truth because he knew in order to see the crown, the cross had to come. In order for him to provide us with peace, he had to go to the cross. Because without the cross, I couldn't have righteousness. But because Jesus died on the cross, I can have righteousness through his blood, through his work. Because of his righteousness applied in my life, I can have peace with you and my fellow man. In order to have peace with man, the truth and love must be applied so that growth and progress in relationships can be accomplished. Jesus came so that we can have peace with man, but he also came so we can have peace of mind. You see, the word used uh, in Isaiah to describe the Prince of Peace is the, the Hebrew word shalom. The word shalom um, stood for wholeness, for, for health, uh, security, well-being, salvation, um, it, it wasn't just a clear mind. It, it included a clear mind, but the mind could be clear because of the complete nature of this kind of peace. My mind can be clear because God can make me whole. My mind can be clear because God can heal. My mind can be clear because I am secure in his arms. My mind can be clear because I know God cares for my well-being. My mind can be clear because God provides salvation from the enemy of sin, from the enemies I encounter every day. Knowing God is able in so many areas allows me to have peace of mind because there's nothing I will encounter that is outside of the power and control of God. He is the Prince of Peace. In the midst of chaos and confusion, we have to appeal to the one who can provide supernatural peace. Philippians 4 and 7 says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Jesus can provide peace that passes all understanding, a peace that stands still when everyone else is falling apart, a peace that sings praise songs when, 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 when everything else is falling down, a peace that is, 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 is praising and worshiping when they're passing out layoff slips, a peace that keeps giving with it when you don't even know where the money is coming from. That's why Philippians 4 and 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace speaks of rest. It speaks of a, a tranquility. It's the idea of having an exemption from the havoc of war. What he's saying is peace will guard your heart and your mind. This is a, it's a military term that describes soldiers assigned to watch over an area. This tells us that the Holy Spirit produces in us a peace that has the ability to march around our mind, guarding it, protecting it so that it can rest easy knowing God is in control. Because worry and peace cannot occupy the same space. 
Worry says, I don't know what I'm going to do. Peace says, I know God knows what to do. Worry says, I don't have answers to my questions. Peace says, I know God has all the answers. Worry says, trouble is on every hand. Peace says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Worry says, I don't know where the money is coming from. Peace says, I know the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Worry says, stay up all night. Peace says, go to bed. Worry says, cry yourself to sleep. Peace says, God will wipe every tear from your eye. Worry says, your life is out of control. Peace says, God is always in control. I don't have to worry because I have peace. Paul tells us, This peace is possible because of the blood of Jesus on the cross through Christ Jesus. You see, I can have peace. I can have rest because Jesus has paid the price of peace for me. So so that now the things that I have to go through, I can rest in knowing who is in control. Jesus came so that we could have peace with man and peace of mind, which is only possible if we have My final point, peace with God. Isaiah 9 verse 6 begins by saying, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. John 3 and 16 says it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus comes down later in John 14 and 27. Jesus says, This peace I give is not as the world gives. Jesus says, the peace that I give is not from the world. The world gives a false peace. The world tries to have peace without righteousness. But the world cannot experience nor offer peace because the world doesn't want to deal with righteousness, the fact of being right with God. When truth is applied, peace has a platform because it only comes through righteousness. You know, what I've noticed is that the longer you stay away from God, the more easily you find yourself at a loss for peace. That's why you have to stay connected. You know, I had this phone that was always running out of batteries. And so I went to the store and, and and they gave me a case. And the case for the phone was a battery itself. So my phone literally was connected to a battery all day long, so it never went dead. It stayed charged up all day because at no point through the day was it disconnected from the power source. You see, for the believer, you have to understand God has given you a battery case called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works so that you can stay plugged in all day long. When you allow the Spirit to take over the life, you don't don't have to wait until Sunday to get refueled. You don't have to wait until Wednesday. You can tap into the power that lies within you all day long. When you allow the Spirit to take over. When you walk by the word of God, when you put your trust in Jesus, the one who died for you, no matter what day of the week, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what life throws at you, you can have a peace. And not just a peace, but a peace that passes all understanding. 
If you have not given your life to Christ, then true peace is impossible for you. The only way to experience this peace we've been talking about is by putting your faith alone in Christ alone, by accepting that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah uh, Isaiah teaches us about. When you find the peace that comes through faith in Jesus, you will then have an anchor that holds and and keeps you and grounds you no matter what the circumstances, no matter the world throws at you, no matter the storms in life, you can stay grounded. You know, a little while ago, we had this big windstorm to come through. And um, I looked out in the backyard and my furniture is all over the place. And my neighbor's furniture is all over the place. But there's this one guy, Catacorner, and all of his patio furniture was just fine. And I said, excuse me, sir, you have to explain to me why we're picking up everybody else's furniture and trading each other's furniture back, but yours is still in place. He said, if you look a little closer, I have it anchored to the foundation." If you look a little closer, the reason why my furniture didn't fly around is because I anchored it to the foundation. When the storm came, when the winds blew, when all of the trouble came, my furniture was anchored to the foundation. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus and trust him to guide your life, when the storms come, when the trials come, when the trouble comes, you can be grounded to the foundation. So though it may look like everything else is floating around and flying and being scattered, you can stand still and know that he is God. God shows us that when we're done playing with the box and ready for the real gift, he says, I'm here to help. The wrapping paper was pretty. The bow was cute, but when God opened his hands, His son came into the world and he gave his son because he knew we would need someone to go to when everything else was coming around us. He gave us his son because he knew that we would exhaust all of our options and have no one else to turn to. When it seems your world is full of chaos, Jesus comes in and he says, how are you? I'm the Prince of Peace. It's nice to meet you. And he gives us peace.